the United Nations Millennium Development Goals, eight targets for reducing hunger and improving health and education globally, may need to be reframed by 2015, their target deadline. That's according to a commission just launched by the London International Development Centre and the medical journal The Lancet. The commission looked at how these MDGs have performed so far and how they might need to be changed. At its launch symposium held at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, Jeff Varga talked me through some of the successes and failures so far. To put it generally, only a few goals are likely to make their targets. Most goals are going to fall short of their global targets in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Although it should be stressed, those countries have made tremendous strides, starting from a much lower base than some others. However, that is where the problems focus in terms of achieving the goals, and certain goals have fared better than others. So we might succeed, for instance, in distributing uh, medicines and reversing the trends of TB, uh, HIV, AIDS, and malaria, but it looks like with respect to maternal health, we're way behind uh, targets. We might get close to our education goals, universal education, um, but in other areas like gender, we've really not made much progress at all. Health issues were divided over three different areas within the MDGs. Um, What impact have these goals had on health development so far? What have we seen? Well, health was a really dominant feature of the MDGs, not only those three health-specific MDGs, but hunger was an MDG 1, sanitation was an MDG 7, and uh, medicines provision was an MDG 8. So they actually were six of the MDGs, uh, had major health targets. And... um, Some of those will be reached, as I mentioned, with diseases. Others are are really well behind in child and maternal health. And I think one of the general feelings is that the fragmentation of health goals into these into these specific um, uh, sort of silos associated with different parts of the health community has not been helpful and indeed perhaps even undermined the development of health systems uh, in low- and middle-income countries. So what should be happening now? We have the 2015 deadline looming ever nearer. What should be happening now? Is it about more efforts or different approaches? Well, our view is is we shouldn't simply seek to continue them without a very hard look at their design and how we might redesign them after 2015. It's certainly important that we continue the very good work that's being done to achieve the goals by 2015 and the tremendous progress that's been made. But we need to have another dialogue about whether this is the right way forward and if not, what we should do. Jeff Varga, director of the London International Development Centre, speaking to me at the launch meeting of their joint commission with the Lancet on the Millennium Development Goals. In a special edition of the Lancet devoted to the MDGs, scientists report a massive change in the global health aid architecture since the goals were set. Catherine Pitt and colleagues analysed how much aid money has been going into maternal and child health, where they found a doubling of aid overall. But as she told Peter Goodwin, not all the aid has been distributed on a basis of need. Also, the sources of aid are changing. The bilateral donors, meaning donor country governments, uh, increased aid a lot 
in, in particular uh, the United States and the United Kingdom. But what's particularly remarkable are the global health initiatives. This is the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria, and the Gavi Alliance, uh, which is focused on vaccines and immunizations. And they, uh, the Gavi Alliance and Global Fund in particular in had a meteoric rise in the aid, so that in fact these two uh, global health initiatives surpassed all aid from multilateral institutions, which means that there's really been a huge shift in the global aid architecture. These are uh, public-private partnerships um, which, which function independently of, of governments or of the UN system or the World Bank. They're linked in with them but they can choose to do their own thing. There have been um, comments made about the distribution of aid. Some countries are getting aid who perhaps could afford to do many of these things themselves, and other countries are simply not getting their share. What did your report find about that? Well, we looked closely at the correlation between the child mortality rates and maternal mortality rates and then how much uh, money each recipient country was receiving per capita. And we found that, in general, uh, countries with higher mortality rates were more likely to receive more aid per capita, and that over the five, year, over the five years between 2003 and 2008, this uh, correlation increased, which means that there's been an improved targeting of aid more money is going to countries with the highest mortality rates. However, there is nonetheless some significant outliers with a few countries with, whose mortality rates are not as high, who have um, significant domestic resources, receiving huge amounts of aid, while other countries like Chad and Niger have very high mortality rates and they're still not receiving nearly as much money as many countries with better health and, and more money. And you were looking specifically at those Millennium Development Goals concerned with maternal and child health. Has maternal and child health improved in the last 10 years? Yes, well, there have been a number of recent papers that have been qu showed quite exciting uh, decreases in maternal uh, mortality and in child mortality, though there are also a lot of pockets where it's not improving and it's not clear that either of these Millennium Development Goals are going to be met. And while uh, ensuring that a certain amount of money is there is not going to achieve the Millennium Development Goals in and of itself, having enough money is a prerequisite. So could do better, according to Catherine Pitt from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. At the MDG meeting in London, Andrew Dorwood talked about the need for a new integrated approach. So I asked him, what should that new direction be? A continuation of what we already have? Or should we refine the MDGs with something altogether more radical? Well, the five key points are holism, which is that integration and, and synergy. The, the second is equity, and to really be focusing on improving equity. And that means bringing up the poorest. And actually, the very poorest can be completely forgotten and ignored by the MDGs because they're the most difficult people to help. Um, so we really have to have targets that take that into account and goals that take that into account. Another is sustainability that we need to be thinking about the environmental threats, but also we need to think about financial and economic sustainability as well. And that requires people's buy-in. It requires equity. And that's related to our fourth point, which is ownership, that we need people to own this. And this requires a 
better global system, a system where poorer people and poorer countries, their interests, their perspectives, their viewpoints are represented. And that has to be matched by our fifth principle, which is the global obligation, that richer countries recognize they have an obligation, a moral obligation, to help those who are poor. But there's also some self-interest there, that there are problems that will arise if we live in a highly unequal world. We will not be able to solve the global problems that we face as, as a planet. These sound like pretty challenging things to, to take on. How are these going to be implemented, these changes? They're certainly challenging. We have to talk about them. And then we need a process which begins to sort out, OK, what's possible? and deliver the things that are possible and not let striving for the impossible stop us doing the possible things. Andrew Dorwood, Professor of Development Economics at the London School of Oriental and African Studies in London. But there's some great news in the special edition of The Lancet. According to researchers from Seattle, the more education women have, the more their children survive the health hazards of living in a poor country and grow up to become healthy adults. John Cleland wrote the accompanying comment in The Lancet and gave Peter Goodwin his thoughts about the findings. Well, it's a stupendous piece of work. Although we've known for a long time that the education of a mother had a decisive influence on the survival and health of her children, more important than that of the father, these people, for a large number of countries, have shown rather convincingly that progress in women's education at the national level has, has made a huge improvement to child survival. Just what are the figures? How much have women's education improved and how much has uh, child mortality improved? Well, they claim that about half the substantial improvements in child mortality in most regions of the world is attributable to rises in women's education. That's an astonishing claim. I believe it would be broadly true. Um, and it has huge implications for in future investment in the education of women. And indeed, there has been a halving of the mortality rate of children, so we have far fewer dying under the age of five now than before. Yes, indeed. I mean, child mortality is declining in most parts of the world. Um, a few countries with progress is not as fast as it might well be, but many countries are on track to meet the Millennium Development Goal of reducing child mortality by two-thirds between 1990 and 2015. The good news doesn't apply to all countries, and they do identify a cluster of states, particularly in West Africa, where progress in educating girls has been absolutely dismal. But for the majority of countries, it's pretty good news. The education of women is catching up that of men. The gender gap is diminishing. And huge strides in the schooling of women have been made. And the figures are, are staggering because you have here, uh, the report says, women have now double the years of education. Now, this is these, the years in question are between 1970 and 2009, so that's a 40-year period, but women's education has doubled in the number of years and tripled in some of the, the countries that were worse off in, in the first place. That's amazing. And even more amazing is the fact that educational progress is not that strongly linked to the financial wealth of countries. So a big lesson from this report is that relatively poor countries can choose to invest in the education of children, particularly the education of girls, and thereby make huge strides in, in health. 
education is much more decisive influence than the wealth of families or the income of families. Now we've known we've known that at individual family level for quite a long time, but to show it so vividly amongst such a large sample of countries is a real step forward. John Cleland, Professor of Medical Demographics at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. The need for improving equity and better global governance were recurring themes coming from the Millennium Development Goals Commission meeting in London. Ricardo Wowie emphasised the need for government policies that take a long-term view. I think first we need to create the sense that we do need global governance, that what happens in a faraway place, although it may seem remote, may be tomorrow's problem that hits us home. When we think about uh, stability and peace, we cannot have a world with peace if some people can expect to live 40 years while others can expect to live 80 years because of the health and living conditions. And we cannot expect to have a safe world when two billion people are living with less than a dollar a day. There's no way with that level of inequality that we can feel safe, let alone happy with the world we live in. So that means that this is not about giving money being wasted from someone else, but it's actually the whole community both developed and developing countries working together towards a world that will be safer to live, both in terms of health, uh, people's willingness to work together, and probably decreasing violence at all levels. Yes, that was another interesting and almost surprising point that was raised earlier, that it's, it's not all, all about money. But it's clear that we're going to have to start taking some new directions. How are these new directions going to be implemented? Well, obviously, the political process is the way things get implemented. But politicians should be responsive to people's demand. So I think that unless we build a demand on politicians to work towards a solution, we will see politicians and we will see government organizing crusades to stamp out terrorism somewhere in the world, but not to stamp out death and disability of children and, and, and people who are living in conditions that are unbearable. So unless we address the root causes, I don't think we will ever have peace and stability. That cannot be imposed through weapons. We're investing in weapons ten times what is needed to solve hunger, health, and nutrition problems of the world. And that is unacceptable. If all citizens of the world declare that unacceptable, we will see governments taking action towards those goals. There have been some targets achieved within the MDGs and some success stories. What can we all take away from the Thailand experience where they've nearly met all of their goals? The Thai experience reflects the common objectives defined by the country as such at the highest political level beyond the politics of one government. In fact, in the case of Thailand, it's been the royal family that has been steady throughout the last 40 years in this. So there have been changes in government, there's been civil strife, but the progress has been based on community-level workers, that village workers that in fact address agriculture, address health, basic education, and create a link between the government services and people's need. So Thailand's response to, to this has been making 
through the village workers, health workers, a link between the community needs and what governments can offer. Ricardo Wawi, Professor of Public Health Nutrition at the University of Chile in Santiago and the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, ending our report from the joint Lancet London International Development Centre Commission on the Millennium Development Goals. For Audio News, I'm Sarah Maxwell.